Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Since the government collapsed in Afghanistan and the Taliban took over, thousands of American and Afghan allies are awaiting evacuation. Among them is Alina Nawabi's father. Alina works on policy for CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. She's also the chair of the Civil and Human Rights Coalition Council for AFSME Local 3930. Alina, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me. I mean, what is going through your head at the moment? Right now, um, we're just holding, holding ourselves, right? Everyone in my family, we're just anxious holding our phones, holding our uh, tablets, our computers, just going through information, what is developing in Afghanistan. Uh, the, the way the Taliban took over the country was so swift that we haven't quite processed that yet. We haven't accepted, that, we haven't come to terms to accept that they have taken over the country yet because we don't know who else is playing out there. Uh, unfortunately, Afghanistan has had a history of uh, power change. Every time there's a transfer, transfer of power, it starts with killing tens and thousands of Afghans to strike fear into the hearts of civilians, just regular people. Uh, this is also because we are known for, you know, the country is known for the graveyard of empire. So they think this way people won't uh, stand up, uh, they won't ask for their rights, they won't do anything to the new regime. So we're just looking at the Taliban's, uh, a group that has has been known for being so brutal, not only towards women and girls, but towards minority groups, activists, advocates, anyone that practices or dresses a different way. So we're just very scared of that. We don't know what's going to happen. I myself am a Pashtun woman. I'm, you know, I, I practice my religion. I'm very proud of being a Muslim, but, you know, to see someone who is different than me and have them being violated in any term or any way, it really deeply impacts me. It impacts my character. It, it makes me very upset and hurt that, um, you know, this, they should have the same right as I do when it comes to practicing their, their lifestyle. And this shouldn't be uh, something that gives any government or any entity to, uh, you know, uh, uh, use violence towards a targeted group. What are your ties to Afghanistan and what are you hearing from your family there? My ties, uh, I was born in Afghanistan. I was uh, very young when I came to the U.S. I came here as a war victim. So when I came to the U.S., I didn't quite have my identity intact because uh, they didn't know my last name. They didn't quite know who my family and everything was. Uh, I came here with uh, Alina Alina. My first name was also my last name. I didn't know I was Afghan, nothing. I was a burn victim. So to me, because I went through through that whole debacle and understanding what war can do to children, I was about four years old. Uh, didn't really realize I had a family or anyone. Um, and then to see this playing out, I keep thinking about the time when I was uh, about five years old. Uh, I, I grew up in Shriners Hospital in L.A., I couldn't leave the hospital. I was a burnt victim, so I was a special case. I just lived there, and the adults next to me were kind of like my parents. Um, I remember all the kids would get together. They would go on top of the roof. They would play uh, basketball and all those games, but I wasn't allowed because of my skin condition. 
So I would just stay in the playroom. They would give me the video game Super Nintendo. I would play with it thinking, oh, yeah, it's all mine. <laughs> but then, you know, at a very young age, at the age of five, I realized that I was all alone. You know, it was a very painful reality for such a young age to realize I didn't have a family. I didn't have any friends. I realized I was the only kid that never left the hospital, who just slept there, who was there, who grew up, who went to school in the hospital. And I remember crying and crying and uh I cried first because I was heartbroken, <laughs> and then I started crying because the tears started burning my uh, skin, my face. So I was just—I didn't know how to stop this this painful, uh, you know, this this experience. But at the same time, when I saw the, the the people falling off the plane, I felt like I was back in that huge room all by myself. And I, you know, I, I, I'm tired. I'm tired of going through that same. Uh, trauma over and over again, and I feel like a lot of Afghans uh, are tired too, and I think that's why the Taliban's won. Uh, I feel like the Afghans, they just don't want to fight anymore. We're tired of fighting. We're tired of being the middle people who's attacked by one side, another side, one regime, another regime. I currently have my father who's in Afghanistan. He has a terrible health condition. Uh, you know, he's supposed to be evacuated, but because of his health condition, and he's an American citizen, he can't evacuate because what's going on, not only within the airport, around the airport, it's so chaotic, his health condition cannot take it. So we have relatives that's supposed to escort them, escort them, uh, excuse me, escort my dad. But when they went to the airport, they said, no, we can't take him. We have to wait. We have to wait for it to settle down. And there, again, my relatives are you know, government contractors, U.S. allies, and they're afraid too. So it's just everyone is bunkered down. No one, no one prepare themselves. They don't have food and water that they actually, you know, prepare themselves to bunker down and stay in shelter. People are running out of everything. So they're, they're going to be forced to come out of their homes and they don't know what's going to happen. Again, I'm not saying Taliban's are doing anything to the people, but it's a very unpredictable situation you know it is the uncertainty that scares us the most i think it's our imagination that just goes wild and unfortunately because we have seen this wild before this is not something new and it's coming from the same group you know when you look at their faces you know my dad has a beard but he's afraid of the Taliban. he's like i don't want to be outside uh, it's just it's, it's it's a very scary situation when do you expect them to be able to come here? So he was supposed to, so originally he was supposed to get on a plane. Uh, he did get on a plane. It was on the Friday eve. Uh, unfortunately, he was, he was removed from his flight because my father was abducted two years ago in Afghanistan. And uh, they had an uh, alert out for him. They didn't clear the alert. So when my father boarded the plane, uh, the alert went off and they had to escort him and take him straight to the embassy. By the time they got to the embassy, um, unfortunately, the Taliban took, took over the country. They took over the city. They took over the capital. Next thing you know, they all bunkered down in the embassy. No one could leave. The immigration officer, my dad, everyone. And my dad is suffering from dementia. So he has no idea what's going on. To him, he's like, oh, I'm still at the airport. So finally, the immigration officers, um, they managed to find our family and hand them over to our relatives. 
and <clears throat> now we're running in the same situation, his health condition is getting worse because he ran out of medication. Uh, the pharmacies are closed. There are checkpoints everywhere, checkpoints at every hospital entrances. They're trying to protect the people. I understand that. But at the same time, nobody wants to go through the checkpoint, especially my relatives. They don't want to deal with the checkpoints. And his health is deteriorating. Um, so we don't know. We, we don't know what's going to happen to him because he's not feeling well. His medication is out. I'm trying to send medicine over there, but the postal service is closed. Everything is closed. I, I, I'm watching the Western media, the Afghan media, the this media, the that media, and none of them are cohesive. Everyone is saying something else, but what I'm hearing from my relatives there, they're saying it's, it's not as bad, but at the same time, it could get bad anytime. So this is what everyone is doing. Just say, staying super, uh, super cautious, not doing anything that would create chaos. Civilians are just being very, very cautious. I mean, as an Afghan-American, what, what are your opinions on the, the United States decision to pull troops out? Do you agree with it? And, and either way, um, do you agree with the way that this was executed? I absolutely do not agree with the way it was executed. I have time and time again said, if you're going to evacuate, make sure it's, uh, it's, it's well-maintained, making sure there's an exit plan. Uh, people are not impacted where, you know, chaos doesn't break out. This is exactly what I was worried about. Uh, I felt like uh, Biden administration did a good job exiting the, the troops, but unfortunately left tens and thousands of uh, Afghan Americans, by the way, American citizens, they're still in Afghanistan. There's over 10,000 of them there. Um, they left them behind. Uh, my, my issue has been the evacuation plan. Uh, we have been working tirelessly. I, ha I didn't sleep for two days. I haven't slept. I can't sleep. I try to take a nap. I just couldn't. I was anxious to go back on my phone. Uh, it's just that there's, there's lack of, definitely a lack of communication between departments, and that shouldn't have taken place. And the fact that they should have realized when they are evacuating people, where should they have gone? They should have already set those facilities in, in foreign countries so they could have received the assets. That wasn't established as well. And then the fact that now we're asking for open door policy for Afghan refugees, that should have been already put in place. If you say you have an exit strategy without, without a strategy, all you did was you just left the country. Um, th these are issues. And I think the priority right now is to uh, evacuate the Afghans, get them out of the country because they're going crazy. We don't know what's happening. Again, it's an unpredictable government that we're dealing with. Expand and expedite process of P1 and P2 special immigrant visa because they haven't done that too. They haven't even looked into these visas. And then the third one is deliver immediate humanitarian assistance because people who are at the airport, like my father, they need medical assistance. The pharmacies are closed. The hospitals are functioning minimum because you have female doctors who are not going back. You have female nurses. A lot of the nurses were females. They're not going back to the hospital, so they're not going to provide those services. So we need to make sure we're there to provide these services within the airport and around that area. And then the last one is to welcome the Afghan refugees. Um, we are very grateful that we live in the state of California. It's a very progressive state. In fact, uh, Governor Newsom, I, I met him uh, this, uh, I believe this week, my memory is kind of bad. 
I met him this weekend. He talked about like immigration, how, you know, California is a very, very welcoming state and we are open to immigrants uh, because they not only get involved and, you know, uh, pay taxes, but they're also very uh, neighborly friendly. They get really involved in communities. I myself am a refugee. So when I came to the state, I came as a war victim, but now every other day I'm volunteering, just giving my services for free to help people. And this is the thing that a lot of the folks need to understand. These refugees, they need a home and they want to build another home over here in San Diego or in the state of California. So I'm hoping, you know, to see these changes that would, you know, calm people. And I, I think this is something that was missing in the message of uh, President Biden. He didn't really calm the situation. He just said, yeah, I did it. And I'm not going to take back what I did. It's like. Okay, but you should instill some hope in us. You know, we forgot to do that part. And as time and time again, America could have been the first nation that left the country with uh, security and hope. And unfortunately, the U.S. didn't give security or hope for the Afghan people. And that's the message I received when I listened to President Biden. Um, what do you think is the best case scenario for Afghanistan going forward? I think the best case scenario, right now I'm working on a resolution because I'm a delegate to the California uh, uh, State uh, State Party. I'm getting my words a little messed up because I'm working days. with the State Department. I'm doing, <laughs> yeah, so I'm a delegate to the California State Party, uh, to the Democratic Party, that is. And the resolution clearly states those uh, four uh, demands that I have. Uh, making sure emergency evacuation, expediting uh, visas, uh, immediate humanitarian effort, and refugees, refugees, refugees. We really need to emphasize on that. Uh, the thing is that I'm not looking at what's happening in uh, in Afghanistan. In a lot of Afghans, right, we're not looking at what's happening in Afghanistan as a military uh, uh, chaos. We're looking at it as a humanitarian chaos. And this is how we need to approach this situation. We need to approach it as a humanitarian. So how can we, you know, be compassionate in making sure people are feeling safe and receiving the assistance they really need? For example, as a female who, who understand how important it is to go to school and, uh, you know, and working and providing for myself and my family, I'm currently taking care of myself and my parents. Um, so this is very important to me. So how can we go into Afghanistan without military, but go as pure humanitarian effort? Is the first thing we need to realize, Afghanistan is a nation of widows and orphans. Once you understand that, then you start to understand what do widows need? What do orphans need? They need education. They need jobs. They need to make sure they have security and agency over their bodies and their families because they're the first providers. Uh, the other thing is, when someone is a widow, uh, there's also this, I hate to talk about this, but forced marriages that can come with it too. And that's something I've been very fearful towards the Taliban regime because that's what they used to do. They used to force women to marry because, oh, you don't have a guardian, a male guardian. Therefore, you have to marry whether you like it or not. And to me, that's concerning too. We have to make sure we protect those women's rights as well as protecting the Shia community, the Hazara community, uh, the Sikh community, these, these, these faiths that is not the dominant faith in Afghanistan. But we have to make sure that they exist, they're Afghans, and they're part of the whole nation building. And uh, this is a humanitarian effort. We need to make sure we are there for the people. And we 
we put pressure on the Taliban government. If you're saying that you're going to provide and allow women to go to school, then you should allow them to go to school at their own choice with their independency. Uh, currently, I found out that in Herat, they told the girls not to go to school. So to me, okay, you said women can go to school, but you're telling them not to go to school? Is it because the regime change and there might be this uh, instability or some sort of a thing that might put them in a very uh, hostile situation? Or is it because you're slowly bringing back that old regime? So it's things like that that I'm very, very concerned. I see them sitting in the media talking to a female, but at the same time, I hear that. And then I see them telling a woman, you got to stand on the side. Well, the men take the dominant space. Like they could have made space for her to move. But, you know, it just, it bothers me. It bothers me because these are telltale, uh, telltale signs that someone is not going to be working with the, with the Afghan people. And again, the Taliban cannot function and cannot rule over Afghanistan, avoiding the largest population, which are widows. You can't function. You can't exist. You're just another regime then. Is there anything else you would like to add or any way that people outside of Afghanistan can help with the situation? Yeah, you know, um, make some space for the Afghan activists who are out there making sure we're educating everyone with what's happening in Afghanistan. Um, make some space for them, uh, amplify their, their voices and uh, share and uh, speak to your Afghan neighbors, ask them how they're doing because, you know, it's just, we just, it's just feeling that feeling of abandonment that's really hard for us to work around because we felt like America was actually, you know, America may have had its uh, downfall with the Afghan community, but at the end, we felt like at least there was this reassurance that there are people in Afghanistan who are pressuring the Afghan government, uh, the American government, uh, to do the right thing for the Afghan people. But now we can't do that. We feel like that accountability, that access to accountability is taken away from us because now the Taliban have taken over the country. How much pressure can we put on our U.S. government? So we want our neighbors and our friends to talk to us, ask us, how can you help? Well, let me show you a website where you can actually donate, you know, support the people. I work with, a, with an organization aside from CARE San Diego. Uh, it's called the Helping Hand for the uh, Helping Hand Relief for the Poor, which assists uh, children. We take uh, children and widows to uh, abroad and making sure they have the medical treatments they need. So kind of like how I ended up in America, <laughs> but except this is just what we have done locally in San Diego, and we have helped tens and thousands of children uh, to get treatments uh, otherwise they couldn't afford in Afghanistan or didn't have access to those uh, medical treatments. So, you know, there are organizations that still work in Afghanistan right now to making sure they're providing some services. But yeah, you can definitely donate, amplify the volumes of our uh, activists, get involved with and talk to your neighbors, your Afghan neighbors. And, you know, there there's going to be a lot of refugees that's going to come to San Diego and California and throughout the U.S. So we're going to need a lot of help, you know, teaching them how to drive, uh, going to school. Uh, all of these assistance, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be all hands on deck, and we're hoping that uh, people get involved. Alina, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you.
You can find more news online at San Diego Union I'm Christy Totten, host of the San Diego News Fix. Thanks for listening. <laughs>